Hello, welcome to this VMJ podcast about well-being. We're going to be talking about how doctors can look after themselves, especially during this extremely difficult time. I'm Abby Rimmer, I'm careers editor at the BMJ and I have a special interest in doctors' well-being. Hello, I'm Kat Chatfield. I'm a GP by training, not currently in practice. Um, my clinical interest is in women's health um, and I'm also just in quality improvement and patient safety. I'm just interested in everything. Um, but I also co-lead on the well-being work with Abby. So Abby, as a journalist for the BMJ, you must have heard lots of stories from the front line about what doctors are experiencing at the moment. Yeah, I think people are having quite a difficult time, not only because there's huge pressure at work, but also because people can't see their friends and family. So they don't have that same link to support groups that they might have otherwise. So on a very personal note, my sister works in an ICU and we FaceTime a lot or, you know, talk over WhatsApp video call, but it's not quite the same as being with her and I think probably other people are struggling with that too. Um, Kat since you're a clinician you probably have some thoughts on how stressful it must be for people to actually be working in this environment. Yes absolutely I think there's sort of several things isn't there there's kind of what it's like being on the front line and, and dealing with this sort of huge pressure on the system with all these um, patients who are additionally unwell still all our patients who who are unwell anyway with long-term conditions and things that are non-COVID related um, and then also dealing with as you said the, the strange personal circumstances that we all find ourselves in but that are probably making things a lot more difficult for, for frontline staff. I certainly uh, know of one colleague who, who is a, a, a psychiatrist and um, she's just had her first baby and her partner is also a clinician and he's due to go back to work um, sort of two weeks after the birth. And she's really concerned because he's going off on the wards every day, coming back home, pissing her and a really newborn baby at risk. Um, but equally, what's the option? She goes and isolates herself from him and, and he doesn't spend any time with his, his child. So there's some really difficult decisions that people are having to make. Um, and as I said, it's just putting additional pressure onto what is already a really stressful time. Mm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I guess one of the things that we were hoping to achieve with this podcast was try and kind of put some advice out there for doctors. And I imagine a lot of it won't be things that they don't already know, but maybe it will give people permission to take that extra time and, you know, go for that walk and make sure they get the right sleep. Because I, I know from work that we've done in the past, Kat, that often doctors aren't, they're extremely good at looking after their patients, but not so good at looking after themselves. Absolutely. I think um, it can feel selfish, can't it, to to sort of take the time for yourself when you could be seeing another patient or you could be relieving that colleague who, who you know is under a lot of stress. Um, but actually, as you say, Abby, making that time is so important because... I mean, we're only, I've been isolating now for three weeks and it feels like forever. Um, but we know that this could be maybe three or four months, possibly even longer. We just don't know. And so we have to have the energy and the resilience to be in it for the for the long term and for the long haul. So I think it's so important that doctors and clinicians and all healthcare staff take that time to look after themselves in the ways that they need to and to step back from the immense sort of overwhelmingness of dealing with this all the time you know you're dealing with coronavirus all the time at work and then stepping back from work and family and friends want to talk to you about it and it's really hard to to escape it and, and to get that kind of psychological headspace to to sort of step away from it and uh, you know think about other things I think it's really important to have time to do that and have permission to do that. Great so we're going to hear from a psychologist later Roxanne Gervais 
But first, we have a recorded question from a listener, Sukhpreet Dub. So we'll hear that now. Hi there, my name is uh, Sukhpreet Dub. I'm an SD3 in oral and maxillofacial surgery at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. We are currently living through an unprecedented time uh, of stress and anxiety. Uh, so there is stress and anxiety of being redeployed at work, not doing your usual job, rapidly learning new skills uh, so that you can then be useful and help. At the same time, we're self-isolating ourselves to protect our family and our friends. And so this stress at work is not mitigated by coming to your usual home where you're surrounded by your usual support network. Therefore, do you have any advice of how to cope mentally uh, during this particularly stressful time, which is both duly at work as well as at home. Thank you so much. So lots of themes there that Sukhpreet raises that we were discussing in the first part of this podcast. Um, And we're really lucky to have Roxanne with us to give us her perspective as a psychologist. Roxanne, would you please introduce yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Roxanne Gervais and I'm an occupational psychologist, which basically means that I assist organisations and their various workforces in actually addressing all those issues that can arise within the work environment and help them to be more productive, help the organisations to be more productive, health workers to achieve a high performance level and also help to keep them healthy and safe within the work environment. So you hired Sukhpreet's concerns there, Roxanne. Do you have any specific advice for him? Yeah, I think it's a very stressful time for everyone, actually for everyone within the globe, not only within the UK, because I think it's the COVID-19 situation has had a very significant impact within, I think, every single country thus far. There's probably some island deep within the South Pacific that probably hasn't had it as yet, thankfully, but I'm sure that the majority of the countries, especially in the West and, you know, Eastern countries have been affected by this. I know that individuals are feeling very stressed at the moment because they have had quite a lot of stresses come at them all at once, where normally this would not happen. You know, so you've got the stress of trying to work at home you've got the stress of for the essential workers that they have to go into their various jobs perform their normal roles but their normal roles are not normal so you know every single stress that can affect them is affecting them right now they're worried about their work they're working at worried about losing jobs finding a new job if they have lost their job they're worried about you know getting support within the workplace you know their control systems have more or less been eradicated so they just have to adapt constantly. So it's not a situation where your role is clear, you've got the control, you've got the support, which are like the three stresses that actually make us mentally ill. So, you know, those have gone out the way. Those, there's no sort of control, support, understanding of role, there's constant changes and certainty. So all of these are stresses that would actually make us mentally ill. And we're having to adapt and adjust to those not even on a weekly basis, on a minute by minute basis, because everything is changing, nothing is constant. So I can understand his concerns, especially where you are on the front line, you are dealing with the physical health, but it's challenging for you to address your mental health because you can't focus on your well-being because you have to be focusing on the well-being of doctors, you know, the medics and those in other care professions. That's their primary concern right now. They can't think about how 
ill they might be feeling in terms of mentally not fit to function. They just have to push all of that aside and focus on dealing with the people who are coming in with those symptoms. That can be very serious and that is killing individuals on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a minute by minute. So it is very tiresome and consuming and very, very frustrating. And it's not an easy situation for any of us to be in, especially for the doctors right now. Roxanne, we've had some questions come in as well from doctors who are not able to work on the front line, maybe because they're in a shielding group or because they're self-isolating. And the impression I get is that some of them feel quite guilty about being at home and not being at work. And I wondered if you had any advice for them. Yeah, it's fine to feel guilty because it's a situation that I don't think anyone thought was ever going to happen and that we're all struggling to cope with at present. So yes, because you're trained to actually provide care and you've now been placed in a situation where you can't provide that care and you know there are shortages, you know that your colleagues are being overworked, you know that they're struggling, they might not have the resources in terms of the time, the equipment, because we do know that there are serious issues with getting the PPE in place, personal protective equipment. We know there are situations getting ventilators in place. We know there are situations with not enough beds in the hospitals. So in, ter- in terms of having to deal with all the illness that they're seeing, they don't have the resources. And then you have these doctors who are trained to assist, but they can't for one reason or another. So they will feel guilty, but it's important for them to think about how else they can support you know, their workers, You know, probably calling them if they want to take a call, You know, offering support that way, You know, probably tweeting about it, going on LinkedIn and, you know, praising the efforts that they that their colleagues are doing. So it's fine to, because you will feel guilty because again, you no longer have the control to assist and you're losing that control. You're using the uncertainty again, all these lovely stresses that actually make us mentally ill. So it's trying to find some way to actually assist them, even if, you know, I don't know if you believe in this, but having sending positive thoughts, that might help some individuals to cope. It might help, I don't know. So trying to think about Whatever little you can do, you know, probably, you know, organize to have a meal sent to them or organize to do their groceries, you know, online grocery shopping for them. Try to find some little way to help as well. So whatever you think you can do, just do it and stop trying to feel guilty and try to see how you can move forward positively in actually assisting them. However minor, however limited you think it will be, try to find some way to assist them as best as you can. Thanks, Roxanne. I think that that's a really positive message for people to hear and some concrete actions they can take. I wanted to follow up on two things that you said. One, that it's okay to feel guilty and that kind of permission to feel whatever emotions we feel, be that guilt or fear or um, grief, any any of those emotions that, that clinicians are experiencing. So how do you... Um, how would you advise people they handle it when they need to have permission to feel these emotions, but also they need to suppress those emotions to some degree when they're on the front line and they're sort of dealing with helping others? What advice do you have around that? Well, I think because, again, the situation has come upon us, you know, all at once. And being human beings, and especially when you're, you know, a general physician, you have to, you know, you're trained to do something. You, you will feel guilty to do it, but it's fine to feel guilty because you have to move on. So, you know, it's like all these various stages that you have to go through in life. If you allow yourself to feel guilty and then you allow yourself to think, okay, fine, 
I know what I can and can't do. So let's just focus what I can on what I can do. And also those in the front line, they're also feeling stretched at the moment. But, but they should also be thinking if they overstretch themselves, they themselves can get ill. So they have to know when they can step back for even five or 10 minutes to, you know, adjust themselves, get a bit more support, probably re-energize themselves a bit, just step back from everything. Take five, 10 minutes to just clear your head, breathe, focus. If you do yoga, do five minutes yoga. If you do mindfulness or meditation, do five minutes to just clear your head and clear your mind and let your body calm so that you can start back a bit fresher than you were 10, 15 minutes ago. It's not easy. It's never going to be easy because even if you pull back for five minutes, your brain does not stop functioning. So you just keep thinking about what you haven't done, what you need to do. You know, you've got five colleagues who are as stressed as you, are as tired as you, but you have to do it because otherwise you have to force yourself to do it. You have to force yourself to step back because you need to restore. You need that time to actually re-energize a bit to actually then take up the, you know, the challenge again. So. so it's almost as if clinicians ought to be a bit selfish during this time so that they can make sure they have that space for themselves. Yes, they definitely need to be selfish. We all need to be selfish because... We can't keep going because if we keep going, we eventually will burn out. So the clinician does not want to burn out. So they have to be selfish for five, 10 minutes. Take that time. Go get yourself a fancy, expensive coffee. Oh, they're, they're all closed now, aren't they? Well, make yourself a fancy, expensive coffee. <laughs> you know, sit down for 10 minutes, breathe, calm yourself, focus your energies, you know, just try to calm your mind as much as possible because you have to be selfish. You have to take that time out to re-energize and reinvent yourself to get back and do what you be what you are trained to do and what will help long term. You don't we don't want them to burn out. So we need them to step aside, take the time to themselves and then step back in. We don't want any of the clinicians to burn themselves out because it's not healthy for them. It's also not healthy for their colleagues and for the society at large. So take the time and step back. And I think when you're in a kind of caring profession, whatever that is, it's often hard to take time for yourself. You're so used to focusing on others. So what? how can doctors and other healthcare workers, how can they support each other? How can they look out for each other as well as themselves? Yeah, that's essential because, again, we all know that support within the workplace is one of those variables or factors that actually help to enhance your well-being. So again, because we've got, I mean, within the hospital context, you've got a variety of professions. You've got the doctors, you've got the nurses, you've got the pharmacists, you've even got, you know, the cleaners, the, those who assist on the wards, those who are, you know, the porters, everyone is basically in the same position and they can support each other. You know, the nurses are trained to be more, the to provide the emotional support to themselves, to the patients. And they can help doctors with that as well, because the doctors is very focused on the medical aspect of it, you know, doing the all the all that good stuff. But, you know, so they can look to the nurses to get the empathy and sympathy to help them with addressing and dealing with the patients a lot better. So, you know, use the skill sets of the other professions within the hospital at this point in time. You know, get the support from whichever profession is there, whichever type of worker is there, you know, have a chat with one of the cleaners have a chat with one of the porters, you know, just connect as humans, as people, as you know, we're all humans, we're all part of the society, just connect on that wavelength, you know, push aside the fact that I'm a doctor, I'm a porter, 
just speak one-to-one with the person, have a calm, lovely conversation. You know, you can connect that way as well. You don't have to rely on just each other because you, you might not want to have a conversation with another doctor after you've dealt with a very stressful situation. You might just want to have a chat, uh, you know, just an inane, very informal chat with anyone to just relax and move your energies away from what you've been dealing with and just think about nothing as much as possible. Roxanne, before you joined us, Kat and I were talking about how it it can be quite difficult at the moment because doctors can't see their family and friends, you know, in person. And I wonder how important you thought it was that people still connect, even if it's just a video call or a a text or a WhatsApp or something like that. Yeah, that is brilliant. I mean, and we need to connect because, you know, the isolation, the loneliness, the uncertainty, the fear, they're all there and they're not diminishing, unfortunately, because... Every time we think this is happening, realize that, you know, it's increasing in another part of the world. So, we, And again, it's the world, as we've just realized, is very, very small. So we've all got friends and families in different parts of the world. You know, I'm originally from the Caribbean, so I've got friends and family in the Caribbean, in the Americas, in the West. So wherever I am, I've got someone who I'm concerned about. And it's the same way with doctors. So again, you know, thankfully we've got the technology. You can form a WhatsApp group. Lots of people already have them. Connect on WhatsApp. You can do a video call, do an audio call, send a message, send in all these silly memes that have been making around. Just to put a giggle and just put a smile on someone's face. So try to remain connected. Don't because if you're in a very intensive job, you're not taking the time to detox. You're holding it all in. You will become ill because you need to step back. You need to release. You need to refocus your energies, clear the mind. So take the time, again, as limited the time as you have, take that to either connect or to step back because even connecting, you're removing yourself from a stressful situation. So you're, again, you're detoxing yourself so you can get back to doing what what you were trained to do. So yes, take the time to connect, whether it's, you know, a text, five minute text, a two minute call, hello, how are you? I'm fine. Talk to you later tonight. That's fine as well. Just take as limited time as you can get to actually connect with someone. doesn't matter who it is. Just have that conversation. I'm really glad that you said that about memes, actually, because I often like to send funny memes to my sister who works in the ICU. And then I think, oh, no, maybe this isn't serious enough because she's working in a really serious environment. But it's nice to hear that maybe that that could be helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's a way to actually, you know, get you thinking about something else. And you think and the reality is, you know, doc, especially doctors and nurses, they do see a lot of death and they're seeing a lot more death. So they need something to actually make them think, okay, I need to step back for two seconds because it is difficult because you're not only dealing with the patient, you're dealing with the families, especially the nurses and the doctors who have to give that message to someone that says, you know, your relative, your mother, your father, your child, they've died. That is very, very tough. And you don't, and then you have to leave that to deal with someone else who's ill. So that's a, that in itself, they cannot take the time to reflect on what they're feeling. So a silly meme might actually help to jolt them a bit from, oh, yes, okay, that has happened. I need to go deal with someone else. So that can actually just give them the space to, you know, breathe a little slower, calm themselves a bit, find the funny side of life, you know, just take the time to get away from the various stresses that you've been dealing with for six, seven hours and that you're going to deal with for another four or five hours. So. And Roxanne, I want to go back to another point that you made right at the beginning of of the conversation where you said that um, 
loss of control was a really big factor here for kind of um, threatening the mental health and mental well-being of, of clinicians. And and I know as a clinician that, you know, there's a stereotype that m- people have this sort of type A, very controlling personality. So this might be particularly challenging for a lot of, of, lot of doctors. Do you have any suggestions for how people might regain some sense of control? Well, in this situation, it's very difficult at present because... Unfortunately, the resources that would help with the control are not there. So, you know, the PPE, the ventilators, the beds. But I think there's a concept that a lot of psychologists are using now, referring to job crafting, where you actually change that little, you shift the dynamics in the work situation a bit, so you actually gain control wherever you can. So in terms of clinicians, oh, oh I don't know. That's a bit challenging because of the situation. In a normal situation, you can adjust the workspace a bit differently. But right now, anyone will have ever have been prepared for it. So um, I think even if it's, even if like between patients, if you just take the control to, for two minutes, just step back and get that level rather than going from one patient to the next, you know, you can assess how ill the next person that you're going to see is and probably, you know, just take that time to just step back for two minutes, not long, but just, I think it's wherever they can adjust to what they're doing that gives them a bit of sense of, I have a, a greater sense of control than I would have done two minutes ago or five minutes ago. It's very challenging, but I don't know if there's anything that's viable at present, but maybe it's taking the control to keep connected with your family that might be a form of control to make sure that you actually at the end of each shift you take the you say i'm taking the control to actually call someone so you're controlling how often you get the support outside of the work environment so that might be one of the ways to do it but however you can manage to get some element of control back into your work life you should use it as long as you know it's respectful it's not harming anyone and right now Unfortunately, it's very, def- very, very difficult to do because of the because of the changing nature of COVID-19. It is very challenging to do. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Roxanne, is I think a lot of people, including non-clinicians, are kind of finding it quite hard to sleep at the moment just because there's lots of information all the time and it's quite a stressful situation. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on the importance of, sl- importance of sleep, especially for clinicians at the moment. Yeah, sleep is an essential part of what we should be doing as humans. And because of technology, smartphones, you know, mobiles, 24-7 culture, we are sleeping less. But we need to sleep because poor sleep leads to, can increase anxiety. So if we don't sleep enough, we will become more anxious because it is impacting on us. But because of all that we're going through at the moment... There's a lot going on. So in order to get good restorative sleep, we need to calm the mind and sleep. We can't sleep for eight hours, but then that might might not be restorative sleep. So we have to think about the quantity of sleep. But more importantly, we need to think about the quality of sleep. It's the quality of sleep that's actually going to get us, you know, focusing on our mental health. So we have to try again to calm the mind, make sure that we have restful sleep because we need to stop the, and I think a lot of, one of a lot of the doctor clinicians who might be feeling the guilt as well is that they're probably ruminating about what's happening, and that again is not healthy for you. So we need to stop 
as much as possible, and it is difficult, but we need to stop them ruminating about the situation because there are some things we cannot change right now until we get the support systems in place. We, we can't control the number of ventilators that we have. We can't control the amount of PPE equipment we've got because that's outside of the control of the, the, the clinicians. So what they can do is try to focus on calming the mind as much as possible, stop the rumination as much as possible to make sure that they get the restorative sleep that they need to actually maintain their well-being and physical health and also mental health. Again, within the present situation, all of these things are very, very challenging. <laughs> and, you know, it's not going to be easy. And even if you do it tomorrow night, you know, on Sunday, you might wake up ruminating again. So I think it's constant, knowing that we just have to keep trying to make sure that we can step back, stop the rumination, get the rest we need, get the sleep we need, get the support systems, connect with others, you know, support others as well. And that can be a form of control also, you know, you know, supporting others because you're taking control of your situation. You know, so again, it's, it is challenging. It is going to be difficult, but you have to keep making sure that you keep trying and then succeeding in doing it. Roxanne, we're hearing from doctors that a lot of them are having to practice in ways that are really distressing for them and not what they would normally wish to do for patients. And one of these is having to separate patients who are dying from COVID from their families. And they're finding innovative ways to help, such as using, you know, digital technologies, iPads, send messages and things like that. But do you have any advice on how they might deal with that kind of really hard situation? Yeah, again, that's another you know, challenging question. And again, there's no simple or easy or definitive answer to deal with it. I mean, I think, as I mentioned before, clinicians, and they're used to death, unfortunately, and that's the reality of working within a clinical setting. You are going to be used to death. But usually, especially with nurses, you know, they usually are able to support the families. But now that, you know, they can't do that again, the guilt again might come back in. You know, not allowing someone to spend their last few minutes on this earth with a loved one is very going to be very, very difficult, and especially those who are religious, you know. You know, you know, Roman Catholics might want to have the priest fight to give the last rites, you know, Muslims might want to have the imam step by the bedside, you know, Jews might want the rabbi to come. So, you know, all of these social laws that are also very fixed in religious practices can't occur at the present time. So I suppose, yeah, we can use technology, but then again, you're putting another demand on the clinicians and they might not have the time to actually, they might want to, but right now they might not have the time to actually, you know, engage in that support system. So again, I think they have to give themselves a buy here. They have to know that they can't control it. And they can probably, you know, again, we can use the people who don't have PPE to say, you know, send a message to someone, again, someone in the hospital who doesn't have required PPE might, again, you know, lend their support in that way to say, okay, well, Mr. X or Ms. Y, you know, unfortunately passed away, could you get a message to their loved ones and say, well, they didn't suffer. You can, you can adjust the truth as much as you want in this situation because people just want to know that the person was fine. So you can adjust as much as you want just to get the individual who's receiving the news that just wants closure. And it's a matter of closure right now. It's going to be very, very difficult because some of these people will not get the closure they need 
for the next few months or years or however long it takes. So probably find some way to get them that closure, you know, say that this happened, this happened to them at the last or whatever, just to give them that little bit of information that might help with the closure. But again, I think they just have to accept that they might not be able to control the situation, but they can get the support of colleagues. Again, nurses who are quite good at, you know, dealing with emotional demands because that's what they've been trained to do, to help each other adjust to the situation again, detox again at the end of the day, you might have lost. And again, the numbers of losing people are, you know, exorbitant. You might lose 40, 50 people on a ward in a day now. So I think it's just trying to get the support, trying to provide some comfort, whether it's not at that particular moment, but in a few hours in a day to the families is all that they can do. And, and they have to not feel guilty about it because they need to get up tomorrow and deal it and get up the day after and deal with the same situation. And, you know, so right at the present time, I think they just need to accept what has happened, detox about it, try to help the families as much as possible and know that it's not their fault. It is not their fault. They are doing, dealing with the situation as best as they can. And I think the families would appreciate that as well. Well, that was brilliant. I think Roxanne gave us some really excellent advice there. One of the things I really liked was her saying that doctors ought to be selfish, you know, even if it's for five or 10 minutes. And Kat, I guess you might have some thoughts about how easy that might be for doctors to do, because I don't think they're particularly good at being selfish. No, I think selfish has such negative connotations. Um, I think that's really difficult for people to do. And I don't know if it would be helpful to people to think of it as something else, like a bit of self-care or I liked it when she said re-energise. I thought that was really um, helpful, that idea of kind of topping up your fuel tank so that you can give more because that's that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about giving to yourself so that you can keep going and keep giving to other people. Um, I think also that idea of connecting with people who aren't, in your team, your close team, I really like that idea of kind of stepping away, but still within the organisation you're working in, where everyone's kind of dealing with this sort of similar pressures and, and stresses with a common kind of goal, but also just having a bit of a change and getting, stepping outside of those normal routines, because I can imagine that that would be quite refreshing um, and re-energising for people. Um, I think it's hard when you've got that constant awareness of things to do you know patients to see and jobs to do and things to get done and I just sort of have to remind myself you know when I feel like that we all feel like that sometimes that you know actually it's not just about the quantity of work you do it's the quality of work that you do and I think you know if you do take that time then the ne next task you go on to you'll be quicker and you'll do it better and so actually you know you don't lose time overall so I think not thinking of it as wasted time or selfish time but thinking of it as a way of um, helping yourself but also helping yourself to be even better prepared for, for the huge challenges to come so yeah I think it'll be difficult um, the other th reflection I had on that is, um, you know, do it for other people. If you can't do it for yourself, you can remind each other to, you know, when was the last time you took a break? You know, would you like a cup of tea? That kind of caring for other people in the team. I think that that's also a really powerful way of, of making sure everyone gets these little sort of snippets of time to, to re-energise and look after themselves. I also really liked your question about 
how to cope with loss of control. I thought that was a, a really interesting point that you made and and as you said, probably one that doctors are really going to struggle with. And I liked her advice, as, as maybe obvious as it might be when you step back and think about it. I think it's always good to hear, you know, control what you can, because um, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, absolutely. And I've never, I haven't heard anyone talking about coronavirus in terms of loss of control. Um, but it really resonated when she said it. I thought, yes, gosh, that must be really hard for people to, to cope with. Um, and as you say, Abby, that idea that you can control the things that you can control um, and whether that is at work or whether that's in your personal life, you know, choosing to reach out to someone, as she suggested. Um, you know, I found myself becoming very controlling about food deliveries, <laughs> um, but it is it's just a, a way of, of dealing with emotions. So yeah, I thought that was really helpful advice that she had for people and I'm sure there is uh you know as a clinician I'm sure there is some element of job crafting that that people can do um just to kind of tweak a little bit and think about yeah we know we have to work like this we know the hospital or whatever organization is saying you know have to have these zones and these wards and this kind of processes but you know what are the little things that we can do with my quality improvement hat on what are the little things we can do to just make this work a bit better for us and and feel like this is not all just coming at us in a huge wave but we have some agency and control I'm also really glad that we touched on even though it is a really difficult subject and Kat I know one that you're doing more more work on outside of this podcast is the issue of patients not having family members with them and I, I'm, I'm glad that we spoke about that even though it was a really obviously a very difficult question for her to answer I think Roxanne covered it really well and I loved her point just saying you know it's it's not your fault and I, I think that might be helpful for people to hear Absolutely. And we've been talking about that for so long, haven't we, in patient safety and, you know, in sort of the culture of health services for, for a long time, this idea of a no blame culture. And I think it's really important that we recognise that this is an absolutely unique circumstance. And, you know, we no one is to blame for um, for coronavirus. Obviously, there are we can have accountability and we must have accountability for the ways that health systems and governments respond um, and how you know we choose to cope with it. Um, but especially at an individual level and on a team level, it, it's nobody's fault. And we just have to deal with, with the hand that we've been given um, and just really be kind to each other, kind to ourselves and kind to each other. <sighs> well, I think that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for, to Roxanne Gervais for coming on today and providing us with so many things to think about and such great advice. You can check us out on social media. We're at BMJ underscore latest on Twitter or you can join our BMJ Wellbeing group on Facebook. We'd also love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in this season, so do get in touch. So until next time, that's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye. Bye.